You've probably heard of Travis Tritt, a famous country singer. Well, before he made it big, he, like so many others, uh, started playing in small, out-of-the-way places, bars and honky-tonks and taverns. And He said that some of those places, when he was first getting started, was, was, uh, were kind of dangerous places. He said sometimes his fans were mostly drunks, these are his words, his fans were mostly drunks who had a hard time controlling their tempers. So he said bar fights would break out from time to time and even the entertainers at times were uh, in danger. But he figured out a way to handle that. When the crowd got a little rowdy, he would start playing Silent Night. He said, just when the bar fights started getting out of hand, when bikers were reaching for their pool cues and the rednecks were heading for the gun rack, I'd start playing Silent Night. It could be the middle of July, I didn't care. Sometimes they'd even start crying, standing there watching me sweat and play Christmas carols. But apparently it worked. Christmas... Carols just have that kind of a power on us, don't they? They, they speak to us, and they kind of remind us of, of more important things than, than whatever would cause a stupid, drunken brawl. As I read that story, I thought of the power of the Christmas carol, and it took me back to the first Christmas carol. Would you look at that with me in Luke chapter 2? The very first Christmas song in Luke chapter 2. Look with me. We're going to look at just two verses out of this story. You're familiar with this chapter. I've I've suggested to you in the past that you want to have certain uh, mental bookmarks in Scripture so that you know Genesis 1, that's about creation. Uh, You know, Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. Uh, You know, Psalm 23 is the 23rd Psalm. Um, (laughs) uh, You you know, there are certain ones of these. You know that John 13 through 17, anytime you read anything in those chapters, you know that's the last night that Jesus was talking to his disciples in that upper room experience. Well, One of those mental bookmarks that you want to have stored away is Luke chapter 2. Every time you hear Luke 2, you know that's the birth of Jesus. So Luke 2 is always going to refer to the birth of Jesus. Well, right in the middle of that beautiful story, at verse 13, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of, of the heavenly host. And you know what happened. They, the shepherds are out in the field watching their flocks by night. You're familiar with that. And then just all of a sudden, this angel appeared and said, hey, don't, don't be afraid. Well, of course they're afraid. And so the angel says, it's okay. Chill out. Don't be afraid. I'm just one. Wait till they all show up. Then you're really going to freak out. And then 13 suddenly there was with that angel a multitude of the heavenly host. And what, was, what were they doing? They were praising God 
and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Now I want you to notice that in that first Christmas carol that as the angels showed up and they began to praise God together, they said, they said many things, but primarily two important things that I want us to look at this morning. Their song says that there's something for someone somewhere. You see, it said glory to God in the highest. There's something for someone somewhere. There's glory to God in the highest. But then the next phrase also means that there's something for someone somewhere. They said, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. In other words, there is peace to men on earth. Glory to God in the highest and peace to people on earth. In that phrase, in that, in that song, it sums up what I think is the, is the essence of Christmas. That God would be glorified and that humankind, that people could find peace. You see, without Jesus being born, we would not know peace. We could not be at peace with God because the Bible says, due to our sin, we are at enmity with him. In other words, our sin separates us from him, even making us enemies. That's what scripture says is the power of sin. So unless Christ had been born, we could not be at peace with God. We would still be at enmity, to use that biblical term. Nor could we find peace with ourselves because we would continually have to struggle looking for purpose and meaning in life. We would continue to live beating our heads against a wall, figuratively, trying to figure out why am I here, what is this all about, and where am I headed? But in Christ, we find peace within ourselves. And in him, we're able to find peace one with another. Because Christ came, we are able to learn how to relate to one another in, in a meaningful and positive way. So, glory to God in the highest is one of the main purposes for Christmas, that we would bring him glory. The other main purpose for Christmas, peace on earth. Peace for those who live here. I want us to think about that peace this morning in this second week of Advent. And the first thing that I notice as I think it through is that peace is within. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The peace is within us. They were able to make this promise that night. The angels were able to promise this because the Prince of Peace had been born. You'll remember in Isaiah, 
He foretells that Jesus is going to come. He looks forward to his coming and he gives them that wonderful list of names, right? Wonderful counselor, almighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. In other words, that is one of the purposes for his coming. He's the prince of that peace that we all long for. And now he's finally been born. And so the angels in heaven break out in song. Hey, this is awesome. Peace can now be declared. Because of Christmas, we can have that peace. Isn't it funny that we talk about peace in the second week of Advent, which is almost always the most busy week of the entire year for a lot of us. We are hectically run. Is that a word, hectically? We are, we are frantically running. We've we got to get all the shopping done. We got to finish the decorations. We got to do the cooking. We got to get on the phone, call all the family. We got to get the Christmas cards out. You know, have you even, have you, I, I, do we even do Christmas cards anymore? I, there's so much to deal with at this time of year. And now we're going to talk about peace. Tell you what, I have an early Christmas gift for you. Here's your gift. Breathe. Let's just be quiet for a minute. Here's some peace. Enjoy it while it lasts. Let's just take a minute. Peace. Now wake up. It feels weird, doesn't it? We're always in such a hurry, such a rush. There's always so, so much stressful stuff that we've got to get done. And I think maybe we get in such a hurry that we forget that the Prince of Peace has been born and the angels declared that we get to experience peace on this earth. It's no wonder that the ancient Hebrew blessing recorded for us in Numbers 6 includes that promise of peace. It's a reminder. I hope God gives you that peace that he's made available. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. This was Aaron's blessing to God's people. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. What a great blessing. That word is shalom. And shalom means much more than the absence of violence. It's not just, I hope nobody beats you up this week. Now, shalom is, it, it, it describes the whole being. It's a whole sense of well-being, of, of safety, of calm, of assurance. This is what Aaron blesses the people with. Some of you may have grown up in a church tradition in which you would say to one another, peace be with you. I love that tradition. It's very biblical. Shalom. Peace be with you. I'm praying that God would bring into your inner being a sense of peace, even in a busy time. 
Shalom. As you know, we like to partner with 61 Isaiah in, in Honduras, and we go over there uh, periodically when we can, you know, when we can fit the, uh, the mission trips in and, and COVID isn't messing everything up and the chaos. So what we try to do is, is uh, we'll take a, a, a vision trip, a few leaders go and see what needs to be done so that we can properly prepare. Then we take a mission trip and try to include as many people from the church as we can to go and do the work that was discovered in that vision trip. So it's, you know, every, every two or three years, you might have an opportunity to go to Honduras with us. Well, we went one year, and it was just one of those times where things just weren't going well. It just wasn't going smoothly. Um, you know, it just happens from time to time. And Shannon, the missionary over there, taught us a word. And it has become one of my favorite words. I still use, it's been years since this happened, but I still use, tranquilo. Just saying it brings it. Tranquilo. You hear the word tranquil. Peace. Every once in a while things get a little chaotic and people get stressed out and we might just, we might just learn to look at each other and say, tranquilo. Chill, dude. Calm. Peace. Peace be with you. Shalom. It happens on the inside. We're not just praying that the, 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 the chaos and the, and, and the violence would end. It, we're saying, I'm, I'm praying for you that you find that calm assurance that lets you sing, it is well with my soul. Peace. Only available through the Prince of Peace. Well, then I want, to, I want us to notice as well this morning, not only is, is peace within, but peace is a person. Peace is a person. You remember the one who brought us this peace? His name was Emmanuel. And we reminded ourselves last week, I'll remind us again, Emmanuel means what? God with us. Right? God with us. Now think on that for a minute. That's just mind-blowing when you realize and recognize that God himself chose to put on humanity that God the Son steps off of his throne takes off his royal garb sets aside his glory and instead puts on humanity and poverty and he's born in a feeding trough in one of the smallest rural little towns And he comes to enter into humanity in order to serve humanity, change humanity, and save all who would come. Peace is a person. It is that God is with us. Before he died, Jesus knew that his disciples were about to go through that horrible experience of watching him be put to death. And so he gathers with them in that upper room and he said something special to them in John chapter 14. 
Now, you remember those mental bookmarks? I told you John 13 through 17 was the upper room. So as soon as you heard John 14, you pictured him speaking to the disciples on the last night together in the upper room. And in that experience, he said, peace, I leave with you. This is his last will and testament. He's about to die, and he's going to leave to them an inheritance. And what is that inheritance that he leaves them with? Peace. I leave with you. This was the purpose of his coming. The declaration of the angels is that since he has been born, now you can have peace. And just before he dies, he says, here's the peace I came to bring you. I leave it with you. My peace I give to you. It is not a peace that he helps you find. It is the peace that was his that he gives to you. My peace I give to you. You see, Jesus is not here just to be our life direction coach, to help us find the right path so that we can eventually get to the peace. No, the peace is discovered in a relationship with him. Peace is a person. The prince of peace is the only possible source of shalom, of peace. And so he says, not as the world gives do I give to you, The world will show you the way. The world will tell you where to buy it. The world may take it back. But since this is given in him, it's different from the world. It is pure. It is everlasting. It is given as a gift of grace if we will but receive it. Peace is a person. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Be at shalom. Many years ago, there was a submarine that was relatively new and it needed to be tested. And so they they took this submarine and it went way down into the depths of the ocean. And it stayed there for a long time. This was part of the test. They were trying some trying to see if the new model would work well. And so part of the test was you had to stay under water for longer than normal. And so they were under the water for hours, many hours, as a matter of fact. When they came back to the surface and made their way back to land, somebody said, well, how did it go? Oh, it was fine. Everything went well. Well, how did you handle that terrible storm that came through last night? And the captain of the submarine said, storm? What storm? We never knew there was a storm. They had reached what is sometimes referred to by sailors and nautical people as the cushion of the sea. And the reality is when you get deep enough into the ocean, you get below all of the storms and the chaos and the waves and the winds that might be above you. When you're deep enough, you find that cushion and you don't even, you're not even affected by all the other stuff. You see, peace is a person. When we get really grounded in our relationship with Christ and he is the king in our lives, when we have a personal relationship with him, not a religious one, then all of a sudden, over time, we realize, you know, the stuff around me should have me going nuts. But I have this shalom, this peace. 
This is what the Prince of Peace brings to the people who follow him, especially to those disciples who get deep in their relationship with him. Paul says not only do you have that kind of peace with Christ, but you also are able, when you know the Prince of Peace, you're also able to experience peace one with another. In Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 14, he, he talks about how Christ changed things between the Gentiles and the Jews. The Jews and Gentiles didn't used to get along very well, didn't, didn't see things the same way for sure. But in Christ, they are made new creatures and brought into the same family. In Ephesians 2 and 14, it says, for he himself is our peace. You see, peace is a person. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There used to be that wall that separated Jew and Gentile. You're like them and I'm like us and we're like us and you're like them. And that wall separates us and Jesus came and said, dudes, this is about me, not you. You come to me, I welcome you into God's family and make you one. There is peace in the person of Christ. Well, we see that there is peace within and peace is a person. And finally, I want you to notice this morning that peace is powerful. Peace is powerful. No wonder they would sing of the great two powers in the world. They sing glory to God in the highest and let there be peace on earth. This is acknowledging and experience to some degree thy kingdom come. When God is receiving the glory and men are at peace, his kingdom is being experienced. Peace is powerful. You remember when the disciples are out in the boat and there's a storm brewing and the boat is being tossed back and forth and they're actually starting to worry for their lives. Do you remember where is Jesus? He's got his little gray blanket with the church logo on it. He's taking a nap. He's asleep in the stern. They say, Jesus, wake up. Don't you even care about us? Can you imagine the audacity of disciples saying to God Almighty in humanity, don't you even care about us? When we are in that turmoil, when we're in that state of confusion and fear and the storms of life are beating us up, sometimes we forget who we are. Sometimes we forget who he is. Don't you care? And he said, y'all still don't have it, do you? You still just got a little faith. And what did he say in Mark chapter 4 where that story is recorded? Mark chapter 4 at verse 39, he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace. Be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. You see, there is power in peace. And Jesus speaks to the storms in life. Shalom. Peace. Rest. There's power 
in peace. It's not a passive thing. I think sometimes we think peace is a break. Peace is not just taking a break as much as it is the power of calm and contentment. This real rich guy one time was searching for the best artistic depiction, the best picture of peace. So artists from all over the place uh, painted their version, their vision of peace. And he had all these pictures to choose from. There were serene landscapes and beautiful pictures. And the wealthy man looked at all of them and rejected all of them but two. He looked at these two, kind of set them aside. And he was deciding now not from the long list, but from two of them. One of a calm lake with mountains and another depicting a lake in a tempest, a storm, dark clouds, and rugged mountains. And to everyone's surprise, the man chose that second one. A lake in a storm with dark clouds. He explained that the first painting was beautiful and peaceful, but it didn't represent where peace can be found. True peace, he argued is found not in serene settings, but in, mid, in the middle of life's storms. He pointed out this small little detail that most people had overlooked. That small detail in that stormy painting, there was a bird's nest near a waterfall in the mountain. Sheltered amid that storm was that little bird. This, he said, represented true peace finding serenity and trust in God despite life's tumultuous circumstances. Here's what I want you to take this morning. The promise of peace does not mean a promise that everything will go smoothly. A promise of peace does not mean that everything's going to go well, that everything's going to be easy. The promise of peace is the storms are going to come. But in Christ, you can have that calm assurance within that will let you ride out the storm. You will go through sadness and loss and pain. That's a part of the human experience. Those religious leaders and TV preachers who promise you a way to avoid all of that are misleading you. Scripture makes it clear. You will go through the flame and the flood. However, you can either go through the flame and the flood on your own, or you can go through the flame and the flood with the Prince of Peace as your shepherd. Guiding, comforting, caring. And it is there that we find shalom. How does that happen? What do I do? First, trust in the Prince of Peace. Tell him, I'm yours now. You're my king. I'm your disciple. I believe you died for me and I want to live for you. 
How do you find real peace, powerful peace? You trust in the Prince of Peace. Second, you pray to the Prince of Peace. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything. You hear that peace? He doesn't say, I'm going to take away the problems, but when the problems are there, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a powerful word. When it says that the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts, that word for guard is the word for the sentry. Armed in some way who would, who would walk around the fort, walk around the shelter. The, the, the guard would, would continually circle that which he was protecting in order to make sure and keep it safe. And here is the word. If you set aside anxiety and choose trust in the Prince of Peace instead, when you go to him with these, these concerns in, in prayer, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to him. What happens? The peace of God becomes the guard in your life. The peace of God is the century protecting you, bringing that deep within shalom. You find the cushion of the sea because you found the Prince of Peace and he's guarding your heart and your mind.